invite Kevin and Isabella forward. And Bobby. And I was looking for Alexis Lyman, but I don't see her in her usual spot right there. Kevin, you have to come stand by these folks over here. Good job with the music this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Pastor Tim has a couple of things uh, for you all. I think that's Kevin. Yeah, I was guessing by the, it's not pink. That's the, yeah, that was the, that was the clue. That's how I knew it was Kevin. Or sparkly gold, whatever this is. My nose worries. Um, what you have in your hand is just a, a small gift from us, a, a simple thank you. Uh, and, and I think more than that, a congratulations and a celebration of your decision to follow Jesus. You'll find some things maybe to help you on your walk with him. You'll find your baptismal certificate. Um, and uh, as you look through these things and as you kind of check them all out, um, I hope that they will be something that speaks to you as you walk as you grow your, yourself in Christ. Uh, Pastor Tim, do you have anything you'd like to, to share? I just want to say that we always talk about it, but this is our church. Amen. Um, and you've seen it today through music with, um, with Kevin, Kevin today. and then the co-family and then just all of the kids we have involved. This is how we like to turn it over, what Bobby has done in Pathfinder Leadership. And Isabella, I know you've got great things coming your way, but that's what i just like to say is you are now a part of this family. Officially. There's work to be done, and we want you to do it. So, <laughs> See, I don't have kids at home to tell them to do my work, so this is my one shot. Okay. Good. So we do, we do want to welcome you to the church family officially. And so church family, you welcome them to, to the family. Amen. I'm glad that Isabella was here because neither of us could see around these guys as we were doing this vast ridiculous. This week. But um, welcome to our church family, you guys. God bless you all. And uh, this means you can officially vote on stuff when we have business meetings. So, you know, show up and vote. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Make sure you greet these guys. Um, welcome them to the family today. Now, I have had, I don't know if it's, if it may just be my ears, because um, for several days now, my ears have been plugged up, and so I haven't been able to hear. Was anyone singing along with the music this morning? Were you? Because I couldn't hear anything. Last week, I could hear everyone singing, and this, this week, it was like, I can't hear anybody singing. I don't know if anybody is actually out there this morning. <clears throat> So if you're going to say amen or anything like that this morning, you need to do it extra loud or I'm not going to hear you. Amen. What? Um, we are uh, we're kind of wrapping up a little bit of a picture of, of uh, the stories around Christmas. And uh, I think one of the questions we've not asked but maybe needs to be asked is how do we end up with these stories? Have you ever stopped to think? Okay, somebody told somebody the story. That's how we ended up with the story. But could you start thinking about who might have, who might have gotten these stories to us? You immediately have to eliminate Joseph, right? 
Because Joseph doesn't seem to still be around to tell the story when Jesus um, is an adult and in ministry. So 40 or 50 years after that, when Luke and Matthew are, are looking for someone to talk to about the story, Joseph's probably out of the question. And what about the Magi? You think the Magi are still hanging around Jerusalem somewhere for an opportunity for somebody to step, step in and interview them? Probably not. Probably not. They went back uh, to Persia immediately after they discovered Jesus. So if they're telling the story to anyone, it's someone who's a great distance away, who's not available for anybody to interview or talk to about the story of Jesus. So what about the shepherds? The Bible says the shepherds told the story. It actually specifically says everyone they told the story to was joyful. So the shepherds went back and told the story. And so I, I, Brenda and I were kind of imagining how that went. You know, did they, when they got home and they're talking to their kids and they're, they're telling the story to their kids, does this story start to become that annual story? Anybody have like annual things you do at, at Christmas time with your family? In my family, I, uh, I fairly close to beg to read the H Street sledding record every year. It's a story we heard one day coming home from, uh, from actually uh, the, the Bruce and Paula Milbury's house. We were driving home. It was uh, Christmas, Christmas time. <clears throat> it was in December. And um, one of those rare occasions when I was listening to NPR, they were reading a story. And the story was so good, so well written, that we went looking for a book to buy this story where, so we could have it for our, for our own family. And every year, for probably the last 15 years, I have asked my wife to read this story. And that has become a part of our Christmas tradition. I imagine, for the shepherd's kids, this may have been part of that tradition. That, you know, that that story kind of carries forward. (coughs) Imagine when they arrive home from work. You guys won't believe what happened to us today. You will not believe what happened. We were out on the hills of Bethlehem and an angel appeared to us in the sky and talked to us. And the little kids, you know, the little kids like, Daddy, an angel talked to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did it look like? I was just really bright, like a, like a glowing person, just really, really intensely bright. Okay, and what did the angel say? I bring you tidings of great joy. Unto us is born a Savior who is Christ the King. You'll find him. Get this part, guys. This angel said you will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. A manger? A manger where you feed the sheep? Yeah, a manger. Wow. Did you find him? Yeah. We went looking all over town, all over Nazareth, for, or all over Bethlehem for him, and we, we finally found a stable with a light on and went inside the stable, and there he was. There he was. Just like the angel described him. And there was his mommy and his daddy, and they were there, and they were excited and smiling and happy, and he was the most beautiful little baby. And this little baby is the Messiah. The Messiah? Yeah, the Messiah. Whoa. And then the next year. How old will the Messiah be this year, Daddy? Well, if he was born last year, like your little brother, Jose, he will be, he will be a year this year. 
And what the next year, how old is the Messiah this year? And the next year, how old is the Messiah this year? Oh, now he's six or he's eight or he's ten. And they tell the story to their children again and again and again. We have Simeon and Anna who come into the story. Simeon and Anna are interesting in this story because we probably don't hear from them either. Because by the time that Jesus is on the scene, Simeon and Anna have probably also passed from the scene. As you look at the witnesses and those who give testimony to this story, the person we're probably hearing from is Mary herself. So when you're listening to the Christmas story, you might want to listen for a mother's voice. Listen for the expression of the things spoken to a mother, heard in a heart and carried there throughout the lifetime of a child. As we do today, I want to read in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 29, and I want to pick up this story where it begins with Simeon's commentary. Here's the story. Having now worked our way through the rest of the passages, getting down to the last of the witnesses, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the customs of the law. And he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother Mary marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Father, as we open the word, as we talk a little bit about it, we pray especially for your anointing. Thank you for the music, the prayer, your blessings in today's baptism, for all that you've done in worship so far today. I pray that as we spend a little time contemplating these moments around your birth, that you will draw us closer to you and that you will blend our hearts together with yours and make us closer in our walk. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so we have an interesting sort of setup. Ernie, there we go. You might. We have a kind of an interesting setup here. We have these, uh, these pieces taking place at the birth of Jesus, which tell us a lot about his family. The actions of the family tell us a lot about the family. The first one, this sort of declarative statement about him at the end of the story, when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, 
his name was called Jesus. Now, now we, we, we jump right to the name Jesus, which is important. The angel told him to name him Jesus. But catch the first part. When the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child. What does that tell you about his family? His family was a fairly devout, observant family. They were keeping the law at the letter it was given to them. Eight days, on the eighth day, their child, their male child, was to be circumcised. So they waited, and at the eighth day, he was circumcised, and they gave him his name that day. This is a devout family. Now, we know that the people who moved back to the north, into Galilean territories and into Nazareth, were pretty devout Jews. It was people who were trying to actually separate themselves from sort of the hubbub of Jerusalem and Judea who were going off into the countryside, going out into the hills and the mountains to have a little separation from the messes of the, the rest of the world and, to, cel- and to, to, to worship and celebrate their religion in a way that made sense to them in, in accordance with what they saw in Torah. And so it wouldn't be surprising that a couple from Nazareth had been a pretty devout couple. So we find them in this story on the eighth day, having their child circumcised. Jesus circumcised on the eighth day as prescribed by Moses. So one, one of the first things we see is a little bit of a, of, of a specific kind of devotion from them. We'll see it again. Now, when the days for, of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed. Now, stop there for a second. Anybody aware of what this is? The, the, when, after a woman had a baby... There were to be 40 days of wait time, of purification. There was a 40-day period which she would have to wait before... (coughs) Excuse me. Nobody shake my hand today. (coughs) Sorry, Ernie. You might have to have your mute button ready. There was a wait period of 40 days after the birth of a child that a woman had to, had to, to be separated, not allowed to go into the temple, the synagogue, engage in, res, in regular interactions with the rest of the, the church family. And they waited until those 40 days of purification were over, and then they went up to the temple in Jerusalem. So again, they're following carefully the instructions given by Moses to offer a sacrifice according to what it said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, do you know anything about the turtle doves and two young pigeons? See, the normal offering, the offering prescribed was either a lamb, or if you could not afford a lamb, that could be either a young goat, a baby goat, or a baby sheep. They would both both be accorded as the same. If you couldn't afford to do that, then you could bring turtle doves or pigeons. This family is bringing turtle doves or pigeons. That means they are on the lower end of the income spectrum. Okay? They couldn't afford to just pull out some cash and buy a, a lamb. Now, let me, let me catch you up on a piece of the story that we've been sharing with you. I told you the Magi probably aren't there on the first day, right? I told you, in fact, the Magi are probably there later. When the Bible says they came and they saw the young child, it's not describing a baby. It's a young toddler sort of a term. The Magi are there sometime later. If the Magi had gotten there before, if they'd been there that night, would they have had the resources to buy a lamb? They would have had the resources to buy a couple herds of lambs. So another argument for the fact that the Magi don't arrive the first night. So, you know, if you're setting up your your nativity scene next Christmas, you might want to give the Magi some distance. You know, have the Magi in a traveling position so you can explain they're on their way, but they don't arrive the same night. 
so you can be accurate in your description of the story. So they come to offer the sacrifice of the poor. They, they bring two turtle doves or two pigeons as prescribed by Moses. Do you see the devotion of this family? Do you see how they're being careful about their religious, their religious behavior? Their son's about to blow up the entire sacrificial system. And this, this young child who is about to, to completely tear apart the sacrificial system is trained by a family that is devout in the keeping of the letter of the rule. Have you ever considered that Mary and Joseph are fairly conservative, fairly strict observance of Judaism? Yeah. The anchor for Jesus is in the text of the Torah. The anchor for Jesus' understanding of everything else he explains is in the text of the Torah. Jesus doesn't come to destroy the Torah. He comes to fulfill the Torah. He comes to make it clear, to make it plain, to make it blossom, to make it real, to put skin on it and feet on it and hands on it. Jesus comes to make it bigger and better and more significant. Read the book of Hebrews and compare it to the Torah. As you read and walk through the two, you'll see Jesus expanding and expanding and expanding it. Jesus' family is devout and committed to a certain kind, a very specific kind of walk. I don't want you to miss it because it's easy to jump right out of this story past the resurrection into the New Testament theologies of Paul without recognizing this is the life Jesus walked his entire life. That we find Jesus going to the Passover feasts. We find Jesus going to the Feast of Pentecost. We find Jesus at the Feast of Booths. We find Jesus in the, in the Feast of Tabernacles. We find Jesus going on a regular basis to the temple as prescribed by, by an observant Jew. Now, he destroys a lot of the things that they had built around it, but he doesn't destroy the foundations. He changes the direction of their understanding, but doesn't destroy the foundations. Can I just say that as we move forward in our understanding of how the scriptures are to be clear, clear, clearly interpreted, it isn't to change the past that we interpret the present into the future. It is to broaden the thing, to to make it bigger, to make it fuller, to make it a clearer representation of who God is. Does that make sense? You don't have to destroy destroy yesterday in order to proceed into tomorrow. I have to to keep moving because I can just start start there and stay preaching. The next moment, this arrival in the temple is an interesting thing. At the temple, heaven and earth collide. At the temple, heaven and earth collide. Think about it. God said to Moses, build me a temple that I might dwell with my people. Heaven, boom, earth, collision. Here's the presence of God. The presence of God that should only actually be in heaven, on earth, in the temple. At the temple, the separations between God and man get blurry. They get fuzzy. And you have a sacrifice that represents the the, the Messiah himself burning on an altar as an intercession for people whose sins have caused that sacrifice. 
And you have a high priest who comes once a year and takes the blood and cleanses that altar and goes in before the Holy of Holies who represents the Messiah himself. And so the blood of the sacrifice cleansed by the high priest who was actually the sacrifice, who is actually God, in this massive mix of colliding things represents how we are saved. In this moment, as this, as this messianic baby comes into the sanctuary where God has dwelt, where the symbols of the Lamb and the sacrifice and the high priest exist, as Jesus comes in, in the hands of a little, little maybe 16-year-old girl, here is God in the temple in a baby I don't know if this blows you away at all, but it just kind of is wild to me. If it's not wild to you yet, would you just keep reading it till it gets there? Because it ought to be. It ought to be one of those things that just you just have to shake your head because how do you, how do you get your mind around something so incomprehensible? God in human flesh, in the temple where the presence of God dwells where the symbols of the Lamb of the sacrifice and the high priest all meld together at one moment who has come to offer an offering for the redemption of the firstborn. Why does the Redeemer need redemption? How does the firstborn of heaven fit into the firstborn of man? You see, these are the things that keep me up at night right here. And I'm just thinking you guys are sleeping like babies when this stuff passes through your mind. This is the, oh my goodness, how could you do such a thing, God, moment in the story. Jesus the Messiah is the size of a baby standing there with, in the hands of a child in a portion of the sanctuary that his mother can't go beyond. He's in the outside of the sanctuary because he can't go any further because he's in the hands of a woman. And he can't go in where his, his father has actually dwelt. There's this place beyond. The if it doesn't make you shake your head, it should. All right, I'll keep going because I'm clearly not getting to everybody all the way back. That day, Simeon, that day, the Holy Spirit led Simeon into the temple where God's children come to meet God. Mary and Joseph came to present baby Jesus, who is who? God, to God, according to the law of Moses. Is it getting a little more interesting? Do you get what I'm saying? This is this weird kind of thing that could only happen when God confronts God in honor of Moses and the law in the hands of a woman who can't possibly, doesn't clearly understand from the way she responds, even when he's 12. The Holy Spirit who is God, leads this man who's being led by the Holy Spirit, who is God, into the temple where they meet God to meet this baby who is God who's being presented to God. 
Get it? Collision. Okay, it's getting better. Simeon then, who the Holy Spirit is on, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, that's Simeon, and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Why is he here? He's not going to die till he sees the Messiah. The Spirit has said to them, you're going to live to see the Messiah. You know, I think as we get close to the end of time, people will hear that. I don't know. I don't know for sure, but it seems like a reasonable thing for God to be doing. Simeon hears that he will see the Messiah before he dies. Now, we don't know how old he is. We don't even know if he's sick. We just know that he's waiting. We just know that he's not going to die, and he's decided he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah. He walks in. He sees this young woman with a baby who's brought the offering for her purification to dedicate this child, this firstborn, to God. He walks in, he sees the child, he then goes over, and the Bible doesn't say, he says, excuse me, man, I can hold your baby. It just says he seizes the baby. So he just goes over and grabs this lady's kid. Ladies. Probably only getting away with this because he's in the temple and she thinks he's got to be somebody official, right? He says then, holding the child up. Sovereign Lord, now you can let me die in peace. Sovereign Lord, now you can let me die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation. He's holding up this baby. Mama's there. Daddy's there. there all this wild collision of God before God, led by God, is happening. He's holding up this child. And he says, you can let me die now. I have seen your salvation. I'm telling you, I wish that was the, the, the word I heard at every bedside at the end of life. Too many times to stand there by that bedside and not know that that is true is really hard. So here I got, here's what I want to say to you. Straighten this up. I might be standing by your bedside someday. Be at peace with God because once you have seen his salvation, your eternity is secure. Your temporal life ends, your eternity is in his hands, you're good to go. You're good to go. He says, I've seen the Messiah, I'm good to go. It's okay. I can die in peace. We don't know what happened. We don't know if it happens that day, six months, six years, six hours later. We don't know. We just know that he's at peace with God about whatever the outcome might be. Because he's seen the Messiah. It changes everything when the Messiah is in your heart, when you've seen the Messiah. When you've embraced him as your own. It changes everything. Everything. So please, if, you, if, if you're here today and this is a doubtful question for you, take a moment during the service, take a, take a moment at some point before you walk out those doors, it doesn't be, need to be some, you know, jump up on your seat sort of a moment. It just needs to be a quiet response from your heart to God. A quiet response that says, I know you'd like me to go home. I know you'd like 
for me to spend eternity with you. I would like to accept the invitation. And I'll follow you from here to there. That's the story. And then just keep that promise. I'm following from here to there. So I really do want to challenge you to do that. I really do want to challenge you not to leave without having done that. Too important of a thing to put off. I may go on so many tangents today, we could be here the rest of the afternoon. This is this pivotal moment. This is a hinge in the history of mankind. He recognizes it in the way he speaks it here. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. For what, how peop- what people? Does that include everyone? Yes. Is that what all means? Yes. So I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. Hinge moment. Why? Because up to this point, it's been the understanding of the world that the salvation was prepared for the Jews. And you had to become part of them in order to become part of him. Simeon, a connection with the devout, committed people who have served God in the Torah their entire lives, standing in front of a family who is there because they are serving God in this moment because of the Torah, sees a future where the whole world can come to Jesus. He's clear on what the Messiah means. He's clear that this changes everything. Which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people Israel. You're not leaving yesterday behind in order to step into tomorrow. He is the glory of your people Israel and he's a light to the world. We're not abandoning Israel at this moment. The idea of replacement theology... The idea that you had to walk away from Israel and abandon Israel in order to save the world doesn't have much of a biblical leg to stand on. Israel is not abandoned to their neglect and to their loss. If you read the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul actually says no, but that by opening this up to the world, God raised up jealousy among the people of Israel so that they might return to him. He does away with, the, with the, the, the sanctuary system and he does away with those processes that are just symbolic of him anyway. But he doesn't do away with the people. He doesn't abandon those people for the sake of the next group. You don't have to leave yesterday in order to step into tomorrow. You can come with the history of yesterday right through into tomorrow. Joseph and Mary. Jesus parents, textually, were amazed at what was being said about their child. Holy Spirit, who is God, leads a man who's listening for God into the temple where God dwells to meet a baby who is God, to lift him up to pray to God on his behalf. And his parents are amazed. It almost seems like too small of a word. Astounded, overwhelmed, shocked, blown away. 
use your own adjective, but it seems like amazed might not be quite big enough. Amazed. 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 Amazing. The problem with the story is you've heard it so often you're no longer amazed. The problem with the Christmas story is it no longer touches us because we just got, we say, oh yeah, yeah, I know the story here. Jesus comes, he's the baby, grows up, he's a major. Yeah, his parents say she was probably pretty young and they grow, go back to Nazareth and stuff happens and he grows, and he's 30 and then, you know. And we walk through this story like it's ordinary. We walk through this story like God shows up every day and does this. We walk through the story without a sense of awe, without a sense of transformation, without it touching us. We walk through the story without us being amazed that God became a baby. A baby. I don't know how to say it anymore. His mom and dad were kind of amazed. Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, who? Mary. Do you think maybe he spoke to Joseph as well? He might have. Which one would you remember if you were Mary? He said some stuff to Joseph I don't really remember. It's been a long time. But what, what he said to me is as clear as if it was yesterday. So, so, Luke, this is what he said. This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. To do what? Fall. So is that good news? No. It's going to be hard. And many others to rise. So is everybody falling? Some are rising. So there's going to be a division about this guy. Is that true? Was that true in your own heart? Is it true today? When you choose to follow Jesus, do you choose to leave some other things behind? When you choose to follow Jesus, does you, do you actually have to leave some of yesterday? Yes. Yes, there are things when you follow Jesus that change in your life. The practices of your life change. The attitudes and, and the things that even make you joyful and the things that make you sorrowful, they change when you choose to follow Jesus. There's a dividing thing that goes on. Does it change some of your family? Does it change some of your relationships? Does it cause the disruption in some things in your household? This child of yours, Mary, he's going to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. The deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed because of this man. And the sword will pierce your own soul, Mary. Do you think you could remember that when you were 60? And Luke came and said, tell me what the story was about the coming of Jesus. Tell me about what it was like to have a, a baby Messiah in your hands. Do you think you could remember Simeon saying, the sword will pierce your own soul? And when you stood at the foot of the cross... And you watch the life ebb out of your child. Do you think you would remember what Simeon said that day? 
sword will pierce your own soul. This is not going to ever be impersonal to you. It's going to be transformatively personal. Your life will never be the same after this baby. Your life will never be the same after this baby. My life, your life, will never be the same after this baby. It's a hinge point. It's a dividing line that opens your heart, that opens your soul, that opens you up in a way that nothing else does. It brings freedom. It brings an openness and a freedom and a joy that you've never experienced before when you let Him in. Because He takes away your responsibility for so much that you have done wrong. He takes it on Himself. And He takes you by the hand and He leads you a path you wouldn't have gone without Him. It's transformative. Your life will never change after you've been in touch with this baby. It'll pierce your own soul. And then an old woman named Anna, at least 84 years old. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. So in the middle of this collision, where a man who is being led by the Holy Spirit, who is God, comes into the temple where the people of Israel come to worship God, takes in his hand a baby who he recognizes is God, raises him up and prays for him to God. And in the middle of that, an elderly prophetess walks up. Just comes rolling into the screens. She... She's off on the sideline and all of a sudden the camera picks her up as she walks into the frame and there she is, bigger than life. And what she says sticks as well. It sticks long enough for Mary to report it. It sticks long enough that she can recount what is being said. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph and she began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting. She, the whole nation is with child. The whole nation is prophetically pregnant. The whole nation knows that Isaiah's prophecies and Daniel's prophecies are rolling up, that it's time there's a sense of it in the world. There's a sense of, a sense of it among those who are listening to the Holy Spirit. There's a sense of it among those who are studying their Bibles. There's a sense of it to the people who are following after God. There's a sense that this child is coming. The Messiah 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 is coming. And this woman, this prophetess, walks into the frame and says, that's him. 
That's the one we've been waiting for. This baby Simeon has, that's him. That woman, that's his mother. That man, that's his father. This is the Messiah. He's come. He's arrived. And she begins to talk to her little friends. I don't know. It's, uh, the Bible says they're there every day. They're fasting and they're praying regularly. This is like, this is like the, uh, the, the daily prayer meeting group. They gather every day in the temple and they pray. All those who can come, there's probably an assigned hour. Every day, 9 o'clock, they all show up and they pray. Every day, this group comes and they gather together. Sometimes there's 12, sometimes there's 25, sometimes there maybe is 100. But there always there's a group of them. And this lady, she's, she's like the founder. She's the prophetess among them. And she comes into the frame and she says, this is the guy we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. This is him. This is the one to rescue Jerusalem. The consolation of Israel. The Messiah, the Prince. The light of the world. The rescuer. The one who will save us. So here's the picture. You've read through the story. We've walked through it together. The story starts with an announcement from an angel. Gabriel comes along and he opens the story. He says, look, Mary, Joseph, something wild's about to happen to you guys. It's going to take a few months, but Mary, you're going to have a baby by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be different. It's, I'm, it's, it's hard to explain. Just trust me, that's what's going to happen. And these two people, these, these two people take the burden of responsibility for having a child they can't explain upon themselves. And maybe they tell their family. I'm sure they, Mary at some point has to explain it and Joseph at some point has to explain it. And it gets more sticky and it gets more difficult. And when Augustus Caesar says, you know, you guys have to go down to Bethlehem, it's probably a relief. It's probably a relief for them to get out of Nazareth, to get away from the whispering and the pointing and the commentary and get to some place where they're a little clear of that. And they get down to Bethlehem just in time for her to have the baby. And Gabriel shows up again. He's, he's nine months since the last time he showed up. He shows up again. And this time he shows up out in the fields with a bunch of shepherds. Tells them they, where they can go find this newborn baby. So, so far, the only witness for Jesus is this angel Gabriel, who's a pretty cool witness. I mean, he stands at the right hand of God. That's awesome. But who's going to believe you saw an angel? The shepherds go and they find the only stable where the light's still on and they go in and they find this baby just as the angel described wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a feed trough. They bow down and worship him and they run off and tell everybody they can find. And then some priests, some foreigners, the magi, directed by an ancient prophecy and a star come to find this newborn king of Israel. They've come thousands of miles and they come to find this newborn king and they eventually find this child and his parents and they walk into the house and they bow down and they worship him. But they go back home. We don't know if they tell anybody after this. We assume that somewhere off in Persia they're telling the story of this king of Judah. They're not even clear on what's going on, but they know that this is not an ordinary child and they've worshipped him. And they go back home. And then Simeon, 40 days after the birth of the child, 
So probably the Magi and Simeon should be reversed. But for our sake, then Simeon, led by the Holy Spirit, testifies that this child is the Messiah and that it will be a light to all people, Jew and Gentile alike. And then Anna, devout prophetess, tells anyone who is looking for the Messiah that this is the baby that was promised. In Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. This is hardly a fog bank of witnesses. These aren't great witnesses. Gabriel, ever told someone that an angel talked to you? If an angel did talk to you, who would you tell? Would you tell everybody? Or would it freak you out to go tell everybody? Would you tell your wife? Guys? Would she tell you? Ladies? Would you call your best friend? My my. My response from my best friend, who is a pastor, the response I know I would get would be, what? Man, an angel talked to me. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. What do you mean pretty sure? Well, I'm really sure. Well, why are you really sure? What did the angel say? Have you been drinking? Let me talk to your wife. Does she know about this? Would your friends be the same? Gabriel. The shepherds. Well, we know those guys aren't even acceptable in court. In fact, the reputation of shepherds is so bad that you're not even supposed to buy anything. If they're trying to sell you something, it's like Craigslist. You're supposed to assume it's stolen. The Magi? They're foreign priests who don't even hang around. They go back. Simeon? We know he's testifying that he's about to die. So what good is he? I mean, it's great that in that moment he shares what's going on. It's awesome for that group. But he's not much long-term value. The ROI on this guy is limited. And finally, Anna who is also an elderly person. So if we look at these folks, Gabriel goes back to heaven. Shepherds are kind of disqualified, though they probably do some witnessing. The Magi leave town. Simeon and Anna, by the time Jesus probably is back at the temple at 12, have passed away. Who's left to talk about Jesus? Would you pick this group? Would you pick this group? Isn't it amazing how God always picks the misfits? He always picks those who don't fit right to do the most important jobs. It's like we have to be completely dependent before we get picked. You know, when you're picking sides, 
Jesus always picks the one who would be last first. In fact, seems I've heard that somewhere. You know what these folks have in common, though? They all value the baby. They all see the worth of the child. If you're really if you're really wanting to understand why these people, it's most clear with the Magi. When they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and they fell down and worshipped him. What makes these people witnesses is nothing about their status or their stature or, or their national origin or even their gender, there's an elderly lady, an elderly man, a young woman, a young man, some shepherds, and some foreigners. Oh, and an angel. And what makes them all the same is that they worship this baby. They see who this is, and it changes them. What makes you and I valuable as a witness is the worth we find in Jesus. What he's done in your life, what we're willing to sacrifice, what we're willing to lay into his hands, where we're willing to go, the trust we find for him. And the future waits on you and I to say something about Jesus. The person of tomorrow, the occurrences of 2018, the next generation of believers, the next person to enter into this baptismal tank is waiting for one of us to step up and say, I needed Jesus I found Jesus. He fulfilled my need and he'll do the same for you. Father in heaven, there's...